The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Continue with you this morning in the book of Genesis, less time than usual with our communion worship, but I want to look at an important text in this topical series called Turning Points, places where significant meetings with God came about. We're looking at what happened immediately after the fall of man, after the expulsion from the garden. Genesis 4 is what I'll read, the first 16 verses. Please listen. To God's word, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer upon the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's holy word. I don't think there ever was an expectant parent who wasn't full of hopes for a child coming into the world. I always remember the musical, I believe it was written in the late 40s, called Carousel. And a character named Billy Bigelow, who has lived a fairly selfish life, but then was married and his wife has told him they're going to have a child. And Billy Bigelow is amazed by this, the idea of being a father. 
And he goes out and sings a song about my boy Bill, who will be tall and as tough as a tree. And he goes on in his mind to paint this fantasy idea of his son to be born, thinking this son will be a combination of Paul Bunyan and Abraham Lincoln and Sir Galahad, all rolled into one. Until suddenly he stops in mid-song and says, oh, what if he is a girl? Which, of course, it is. Well, in Genesis 4.1, you have Eve, the first human mother, reacting to her child coming into the world. Our text, our translation says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is an interesting Hebrew sentence and a little bit obscure. The experts say it could have a slightly different meaning than what many interpreters say. There's a possible meaning that she could have said, I have gotten the Lord's man. In other words, these experts think she could have been referring to the promise of God in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would conquer the evil of sin that had come into the world. And, And wouldn't it have been natural, having heard that promise, God didn't say it was going to be centuries later, for Eve to think, here's the seed of the woman, here's the Savior. Well, what a surprise for this mother to know that her hopes would be dashed completely because instead of a Christ or a Savior, she got a killer in her firstborn. Here's a text this morning about fallen human nature, about what worship of God is, and about the character of God's mercy. Perhaps we can see those three things in very brief fashion before we come to the Lord's table today. For here's Cain not being influenced to sin as Adam and Eve were by some outside influence, that mysterious beguiling serpent, but being influenced to sin by what is programmed in them. For now, here is Cain in the line that we all are in. And sin is inside us. And it's right there influencing us all the time. First of all, this morning, before the infamous murder even occurs, I would ask you to see that Genesis 4, 1 to 5, gives us worship instructions about beauty versus blood. People were worshiping God. These firstborn of of Adam's line, and there were other children, were given to understand of this line, began to worship God, even though direct fellowship with the Lord of the kind originally enjoyed by Adam and Eve was no longer possible. They were in fellowship and sought fellowship with God, and one of the means of that was by sacrifices. Now, some years had gone on. These men were apparently adults. They were both launched into careers, one as a farmer, one as a tender of sheep, and they both came to worship, something that you get the understanding people were in the habit of doing. And so Cain, the farmer, brings some kind of produce that he had raised, who knows what it was, maybe wonderful sweet corn, maybe strawberries, whatever was in season. He brings these things and puts them on the altar of the Lord, and Abel, the sheep tender, brings a slain lamb. Now, if you had to judge if it was the county fair or something, and you were saying which offering, which sacrifice is more attractive, I think 
our imaginations can easily say the, the farmer's offering would be more attractive than a dead lamb with probably blood on its fleece. And so if beauty was the determination, Cain wins. But beauty was not the determination. And you probably know and maybe have as a question in your own mind, why does it seem so arbitrary in this text that God in some manner approves or shows his approval for one offering and rejects the other? And people uh, have quite a sarcastic time with this and say, how can you ever know how to please this God? How can you know how to bring what's going to please him if he arbitrarily rejects one and accepts the other? Some people try to explain that and they say, well, Abel must have been the the one who was a sincere spiritual man who who really was, you know, had his heart set on God as he brought his. And Cain was just maybe acting flippantly and carelessly and in some kind of religious formal way and God didn't like the, the attitude, in other words, the spirit of it. But we think that can't be the whole explanation. Particularly because in verse 7, Cain understands the admonishment of God that he did not do well or do what is right. I think the New International Version says, do what is right, which implies falling short of some kind of a standard. You didn't do something that you knew you should have done. Now, yes, this is not spelled out there, but it seems absolutely obvious and reasonable that what we have happening here was some kind of prior revelation by which they did know what sacrifice was supposed to have been brought. And Abel knew that the sacrifice of blood, which, of course, we can connect all down the line of history and and end up all the way at the cross of Jesus and say that's the obvious kind of sacrifice God wants to show that a death has, has to happen in order for sin to be forgiven. And that Cain knew that. But somehow he decided that worship could be carried out in his own way just as well as God's way. I can freewheel it. Why not just sort of make my own decisions? And as long as I'm sincere... It doesn't matter. And after all, isn't my sacrifice a lot nicer to look at than Abel's? Worship has to be that which is offered to the triune God. The Bible makes that clear. If you worship any form of God that is not God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you do not worship God. And furthermore, the Scripture makes it clear that worship comes to God in and through Jesus Christ through his name, through his atoning work. And Jesus added that it comes in spirit and in truth, that is, the Holy Spirit inhabiting and driving your heart and according to the truth of what God reveals. God reveals how to worship. No, it's not a little pamphlet that falls out of your Bible that says worship this way, but it certainly is, at the very least and best, the biblical principles exhibited in New Testament worship of the church, wherein scripture and its being expounded and taught was at the center, where prayer of various kinds was brought, prayers of intercession, prayers of praise, where psalms and hymns and spiritual songs were sung, where offerings were taken to serve the needy, where the Lord's Supper was celebrated, where baptism was marked, where benedictions were given. These are all parts of the format the biblical format of worship. 
Now, it's a great discussion in our time as to what we do once we know the biblical format, how much more freedom or license do we have to invent within the format. And that isn't the discussion of today. There certainly is some freedom. There certainly can be worship that might look and sound rather different than the way we worship or other congregations worship that still is observing the biblical format. But we need to be careful that we are listening to God's revelation when we worship. Otherwise, we end up with what 2 Timothy 3, 5 called a form of godliness that denies its power. Like a little caricature or a stick drawing that's different from a three-dimensional figure. You can have worship that somehow once upon a time was related to something that had to do with God that doesn't have the power of his spirit or the freedom of hearing God's revealed truth in it anymore. Because that worship has started to be regulated by what's popular, what's exciting, what's beautiful. And yes, there can be beauty in worship and and will be. But it's not the altar at which we bow. And if we're not careful and listen to God, we can end up with what happened in Moses' day with something unexplainable called strange fire that God doesn't recognize and that does not honor him. And so worship, according to God's revelation, is important from this early chapter in Scripture. But then we go to the heart of the issue here with Cain in the second place. After showing that God has a worship standard that puts blood before beauty, our text says next that we will see here human wrath against God's revelation. Here is an angry man. Do you know an angry person? Not just men, women as well. Do you know somebody who's angry in some of the ways that Cain was? Here was a man And it seems clear from this text that his anger was born against God first. Because his offering was rejected, the end of verse 5 says, Cain was very angry. And the Lord challenged him right away, why are you angry? It's my revelation, you're not obeying here, what's the problem? And then the Lord came with another question after the crime of murder and said, where's your brother? And you see how he reacted to that. Cain is meant to represent to us a whole way of life. In fact, the little New Testament book of Jude, one of the tiniest books in the New Testament, it's only one chapter long, Jude verse 11, speaks about the way of Cain. There's a whole pattern of life in which people are knotted up in their being with fierce anger towards God. And their quarrel towards God and his revealed truth because they want to say, I know as well as God does, and I don't have to do it God's way, is what dominates their life. And so we have two classes of humanity here. Abel, the silently obedient, humble man who basically does what God had instructed and worships God's way. And Cain who says, I'll do it my way. And then peevishly pouts when he cannot have his way. Here is the elect believer obeying God in faith and the non-believer running into his own way and loving himself first. Verse 7, the Lord told Cain he could have the power to master this anger and this, this driving ugliness that pushed him against everything heaven had revealed. 
he had to be self-aware, he had to confess it and turn from it. But he wouldn't do that. And so it continued to dominate him. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man. The end whereof is death. And that's the end or the goal of any path when you live in knotted, fierce anger against the revelation of God the way Cain did. If you're angry with God in the center of your being, that animosity is going to spill out upon many, many people in your life. You're not even going to know all the time, why is it that I, I have to pick a fight with my spouse? Or, or why is it that that person gets me so upset? What is it that, that makes me like a missile looking for a place to land in the world? Well, it may well be your enmity with God, the argument you have with the idea of God being Lord over your life. And the argument you have with him pervades your marriage, your family, and many other human relationships as well. You know, God didn't so much banish Cain from his fellowship as Cain banished himself. Here was a guy who was a farmer, and what does a farmer depend on doing? Having a plow, having some ground, working that ground, raising crops. He could no longer do that because he would no longer be settled anywhere. He'd be a wanderer. Anytime he did settle down and try to work some ground, the ground wouldn't respond to him very well, and he'd just move on. Cain actually put himself in exile when he decided God was his enemy. The insistence that he have his own way meant that he stewed in his own juice for the remainder of his life. Human wrath towards divine revelation affects some people you know, I'm fairly sure. Thirdly, though, I want you to see here how God's grace comes even to a self-consumed rebel like this, an angry rebel. He has the temerity to complain about his punishment. It's too much, Lord. How could you do this to me? Anybody who finds me is going to want to kill me. This from a man who's just killed his brother. And you know, the Lord responded not harshly, to Cain, the response of God has to be understood here as gracious. There's a mystery in our text. It says, the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack and kill him. We don't know what that mark is. All kinds of speculations in the commentaries. Some say some kind of a tattoo, perhaps, or a wound or, or something that people looked at and thought, oh, that, you know, in a superstitious world, people even thought scars maybe were some kind of symbols. So, and, and there's a lot of speculation. I have no idea. I like to think maybe it wasn't even visible. Perhaps it was a barrier of the Holy Spirit put around this man so that anyone who ever did come after him in anger and seek to destroy him would, for reasons they did not understand, be unable to do it. But one way or another, God put his claim on this man, this angry man, saying, Cain is my property As long as he breathes, nobody takes his life away except on my timetable. This is mercy. God was merciful. Psalm 86 says, You, O Lord, are a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger. You see, what was Cain? Could we call him slow to anger? He was quick to anger. 
But God, in response, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he gave this angry man a whole lifetime of sunrise after sunrise after sunrise when he could have at any time bowed before the Lord, asked God's forgiveness, and claimed this God to be his Lord. But he never did. He lived out his anger apparently all his days. One writer concludes on this passage saying this, I quote, Cain and Abel represent two great classes of people. They typify, on the one hand, the lost and the saved, the self-righteous and the penitent, the formal church member and the true convert to Christ. This writer said both of these are fallen sons of the same parents, but one found God's redeeming grace, while the other angrily refused it and would not have a blood covering for his sin. The mark of Cain, the life of Cain, this awful destiny of Cain should say to you and to me, do not follow this man. Surrender your anger with God, lest you end up having no God and no brother either. And you know, it may seem that Abel was the one who got the worst deal from this passage. He didn't live. But Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11.4 says, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended for his righteousness, and although he died, he still speaks. What does he say? What does Abel say? He says, humbly submit to the revelation of God. Trust him, worship him as he designs, and he will bless you. But there's actually someone you should listen to who's more eloquent and more important than the voice of Abel. And it's also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 24. There we read, we are to obey and hear the voice of, quote, Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to his sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because Jesus made the final acceptable sacrifice at his cross. And God will delight to see you embracing and holding on in faith to that sacrifice Once your faith lays claim to it, it is the better sacrifice that suffices forever. Thanks be to God. Father, this morning, these early lessons of history show us in one family, all the families of earth, deciding for you or angrily standing apart from you. We're horrified at Cain. We're horrified at his vehemence, at his feeling so wound up in his own way of seeing things that he could reject his own brother and kill him. Lord, I pray today for some angry person listening to me. Somebody who's pretty sure that God's got it all wrong to start with and therefore isn't going to listen to anything God or his representatives have to say. 
I pray, dear Lord, that you break down those ugly barriers of anger and open us to bow before you in humble submission to receive the life you desire to give. In Jesus' name, amen.